Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley. And uh, it was a very, very busy week of off-field football news um, for the Ducks. No kidding. You know, some good, some not as good, but uh, it's all very interesting and we're here to discuss all of it. So, um, shoot, first of all, Reed, how you doing, man? Uh, I am doing pretty well. Finally back in the state of Oregon after a little vacation with my family, so that's nice. And yeah, just, uh, you know, following Oregon recruiting as always, writing some stuff on Ducks Digest, hanging out. What about you, Charlie? Pretty good. I just got back from a camping trip myself. Uh, Before I lost some service, I got to read catch up on reed's articles uh on ducks digest turns out i did have service when i got there anyways but it was good um (laughs) but yeah man i'm i'm totally i feel more like dialed into recruiting than ever right now literally just after reading your stuff and after this little talk we had right before we started like i'm i'm in it i'm ready right on man glad (laughs) to hear it (laughs) um and like many people um i'm sure that uh you were some of you were dialed in to uh, this a certain commitment from a certain prospect in the 2021 class. Um, this being probably the last commitment of the 21 class. I don't know. Maybe maybe there were some others yeah. in there. Certainly I the so. the biggest commitment of the 21 class. Um, that mm-hmm. being J T Tuimalao. They said his name differently <laughs> on the on the broadcast than I'm used to saying it or hearing it, but. Well, Whatever. well, unfortunately, now it appears we we don't have to worry about getting the uh, pronunciation yeah. down, yeah, as perfectly as as we maybe would have. Yeah, unfortunately, when that um, hoodie got unzipped, it had an Ohio State shirt on underneath it. So, you know, best of luck to JT. As always, of course, we would have loved him see to come to Oregon, um, but you know what? It is what it is, and at least we don't have to play against him. Well. A, a, <laughs> Well, more than once, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I, – I do think hopefully um, – I mean, I think it would have had a big impact on our side if he had played in that Ohio State game. But given how kind of loaded they are on the D-line, I don't know if he'll get quite as many major snaps in that kind of week two scenario for them. So I don't think that we'll pay for it too much on the field, at least in week two. Uh, but – who knows if we'll see him in a playoff down the line or something like that, too. Yeah, that'd be really sweet. Obviously, like, then we have to play against him, but whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, again, this this being just about the absolute latest he could have chosen to commit, I mean, uh, let, let's make no mistake, first of all. Like, we're not knocking the guy for any of this. I mean, he took his time with his decision – he, you know, obviously it was a very personal one for him and his family. Um, it, uh, again, it didn't work out the way we wanted it to, but I mean, it's not all terrible news um, because we do have more things to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, on, on JTT, I think, you know, like you said, this has been a recruitment that's been built up for, uh, I mean, a year we've been waiting for him to take visits and see any real movement. But of course he's been the number one ranked player on two, four, seven wire to wire since they, uh, uh, since they released their initial rankings for the 21 class. So it's been a big deal now for, for a few years. Um, 
And I think, you know, it was, it was, I mean, it was just an intense day. It was a crazy day to follow that um, and leading up to it. And it was um, interesting for me kind of following one of those big recruitments for the first time, kind of from the side of a, a reporter a bit. I mean, I'm still, you know, a fan and was invested, but I also, um, you know, had the responsibility of, of putting out a prediction um, and kind of trying to keep up to date with it. And so it was a little bit of a different feeling. Um, but like like all the Ducks fans who are tuning in on, on July 4th, you know, I, it was an exciting day. And I think people went into it with the expectation that that could have been one of the biggest commitments in Oregon history and Mm -hmm. paired with the commitment that we got later from banks, you know, it, it really would have been the greatest single day in probably Oregon recruiting history with those two on the same day. So I really wanted that celebration um, both just as someone who's invested in the program and a fan, but also for all the other people who are fans of this program, um, just kind of to make that big statement would have been really exciting. And I think the unfortunate thing for me is that, you know, like I said, I'm someone who's followed this this recruitment really closely, both, you know, as a fan and then kind of in the past few months um, doing my work at Ducks Digest kind of more as a reporter or whatever you'd say. Um, and I think it's it's unfortunate because I think a lot of casual followers of this recruitment and Ducks fans even kind of got the wrong impression. I think there's some misconceptions about it um, insofar as, you know, when he unzipped that hoodie and it was Ohio State, I think it confirmed for a lot of people what they believed, which was this recruitment was heading in an obvious direction for the past year. Mm-hmm. And that Ohio State was always the leader, um, mainly based on Brandon Huffman's uh, low confidence crystal ball pick, along with yeah. an Ohio State moderator on 247's crystal ball pick. Um, a lot of people who just followed it on that surface level thought that Ohio State was always going to be the pick. And, and we saw people, I talked to people on Twitter throughout the past six months or, or longer who said, you know, getting JT to him allow was a pipe dream for Oregon, uh, that they didn't have a shot, and that because Huffman had that low-confidence crystal ball in and he was the only person who knew anything, that that was the obvious direction it was going in. And I think the unfortunate thing for me was, um, or, or, you know, it was just complicated because I, like I said, I had the, you know, I actually put out a prediction uh, roundtable article with Ducks Digest, and so I had to really think about making a pick to kind of put on the record, per se, for a first time. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't have that big of a following or anything, but it was something I tried to take seriously. Yeah. Um, and so I was torn back and forth. And, um, you know, I've this whole time, as we've talked about this recruitment through a lot of episodes, I've been pretty consistent. I've said the Ducks have had a 60% chance at times. I've said they've had a 35, 40% chance for about for the vast majority of the recruitment. Sometimes I've gone down to 20% or something. Um, but I've always maintained that, you know, Oregon was in it. And I would say the funny thing is, is that really, you know, kind of ironically, when I felt the most confident about my prediction to Oregon was in that last 24, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think if you, you know, unless you're following this recruitment really closely and you're scanning those message boards and you had some people that you knew that were connected to the program or something, I think you maybe didn't quite realize how close Oregon came to pulling this off. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you, it, it really was close. There were a lot of people tied to the program who felt optimistic going into that commitment. It was not Ohio State by a landslide. Um, I mean, for for the fans, I know a big thing late on Saturday night it was was the whole graphic gate scandal. I don't know (laughs) if you saw that, Charlie. I was not Uh, that dialed in, no. (laughs) Yeah, so basically uh, the commitment graphic for JTT to Oregon leaked on 247 on Saturday night. It was posted to JTT's profile. So people went crazy. Uh, there was speculation. Do they have all four of these graphics? Or is there a graphic for Ohio State, obviously? Or did Huffman get the news on the commitment and accidentally post it to the profile? Um, you had the Ducks Territory moderator, uh, Eric Eric Scopel, falling on the sword a bit um, and saying it was his fault. He updated a commitment article and accidentally added the image to the profile, even though it was just speculative. Um, and the Ohio State board took it pretty seriously, too. Yeah. Um, they, you know, there were Ducks fans posting around just saying, you know, that they were starting to feel confident about it. Um, and insiders, you know, people, those we know who do have sources, um, and, you know, even some of the people that I know, um, connected to the program saying, you know, that they felt pretty confident leading up to that commitment. Um, And so I think that there's, you know, I feel really confident that Oregon was heavily involved for JT to allow. And, you know, the the people are going to kind of take the fact that he went to Ohio state and it kind of was built up into this thing about Oregon sources and mainly, you know, Justin Hopkins, um, J-Hop over at Scoop Duck is the big guy who is saying that that Oregon was in the heat of this commit uh, in uh, in the heat of this cr- recruitment. Um, and and it to kind his of credit, was, has been saying that for literally a year. Right, and and I you know I want to say shout out to J-Hop for doing that for kind of you know he's trying to be objective and and he does a great job of it, but he's also sticking his neck out for the program in some ways and you know, fighting for something that for a narrative that I think is true, putting it out there that Oregon was the second uh, and close second team in this recruitment. And unfortunately, I think that JT Tumalau picking Ohio State in the end led to a lot of people kind of validating Brandon Huffman's um, take on the recruitment the whole time. And of course, respect to Brandon Huffman for getting the interviews. But at the end of the day, his his handle on the recruitment was not um was not perfect either i mean the the big thing that we all need to talk about here kind of is uh alabama's role in this recruitment mm-hmm. you know everyone said that was connected to 247 huffman said alabama was the close second team that he thought maybe at times was pushing ahead of ohio state i know josh pate Credit to him for saying Oregon was in the thick of it when he previewed it about a month ago, but he said he thought Alabama was number one a month ago. That was completely wrong. Yeah. 
that was they he didn't and again i mean, I mean they they're just you know throwing shit at right. the wall too but like right exactly you know, they, they're in the spotlight here and obviously we're gonna we have never said by the way that oregon is going to get him i mean we can predict right. things like that and we can guess but you know for someone in the spotlight spotlight like that in a national with a national audience i mean i don't know you would think that these guys wouldn't just like portray their guessing as confidence right and and it's just i mean it's just to say that you know no one had no one knew everything about this recruitment and it really came down to the end and and just seeing that kind of mention of alabama you know i just it, it was frustrating for me because I just at the end of it had to say, you know, that was, excuse my language, but bullshit. Like, yeah. it was a narrative pushed by people who love to embrace, who, you know, love Nick Saban and have so much respect for what he does because he is an amazing recruiter. But they just assume that Bama is always going to come in and do things. And frankly, they assume that Oregon isn't you know, a legitimate threat for someone until they actually do it. And mm-hmm. Alabama gets to have that credit without finishing off the job or without having a public thing come out there per se. Whereas Oregon always has to cross that finish line the entire way to get the recognition. Um, and of course, that's how it goes. I mean, if you get the commitment, that's what they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about him going to Ohio State more than anything. Um but I just, I just do want to say, like, as someone who I feel like I've, co- I've followed this recruitment as closely as possible, and I, and it's just people who think that Oregon, that this was a foregone conclusion in April or May, or any time before the last few days, mm-hmm. are wrong. I yeah. feel very confident in that, and and even I thought leaving his visits, um, that it that he had an idea of where he was going after he canceled that Alabama visit, I thought he either knew it was Ohio state or Oregon. Yeah. And from what I've heard, I don't think that's true anymore at all. I think that Ohio state and Oregon were very close until the last moment. And it broke, you know, it broke the way it did in the end. But I'm, I feel, um, I just would say, I feel confident that Oregon was strongly in the mix here. And I think that that needs to be said because people, you know, if we don't give ourselves that credit and if we don't say that, then I then, you know, the Brandon Huffins of the world just aren't going to probably. Um, yeah. And I feel like another thing that kind of contributes to the whole, I mean, Alabama being closer than they really were the whole time thing is that like everyone, especially in the college football world right now, um, People like to assume they know the answers to things. It's very easy to say, oh, Clemson and Bama meet again in the playoff for the title or, you know, maybe Ohio State and they get validated every year at this point. Um, So it's very easy to say something like, oh, he'll just end up at Ohio State. Oh, he'll just end up at Alabama. Like those are just bigger programs. It's never that simple. (laughs) It's never that simple. Um, Anyone who actually watches the sport knows that. Anyone who actually follows recruiting knows that. So... Right, exactly. But, you know, like you said, if, if you don't know something for sure, if you have to put out a prediction, you know, after being and again, I'm not putting blame on anyone, you know, but after being in the sport for 15 years, these people know it's never a bad bet to say that it's going to go Nick Saban's way in the yeah. end because yeah. it does more times than not. But, you know, 
that just in kind of doing the post-mortem on this recruitment, what exactly happened here, like that just wasn't the case. Oregon really was the team that was surging there. But I think at the end of the day, also, you know, what, what Justin Hopkins has said and what I kind of, you know, believe as well is, is Oregon did everything they can. I mean, if mm-hmm. you don't know, if, if you, you know, I've heard Chris will talk for two minutes about recruiting, you know how much he prioritizes it. And so he's going to pull out every one of the stops for someone as big as JTT. And ultimately it wasn't enough to get it done. I think, and, and why it wasn't enough was because Ohio state is that brand right now that we aren't quite, I think, you know, we're still a national brand and we can still win big recruitments, but Ohio State has been in those playoffs consistently. They produce players to the NFL very consistently. They have that rich tradition that I think ultimately for a player like JTT who's trying to make it to the NFL, you know, this can become a business decision where he wants to go with the thing that he can trust the most. Um, Even if he has excitement and energy and comfort around the Oregon program in some ways, Ultimately, you know, with Larry Johnson at Ohio State, you know, you're going to be you're going to get developed. You're going to go in the first round, probably in the NFL draft. And you're going to play for a playoff. You're going to probably play for a national championship during your three years there. So I think that's how it broke. And, and I wonder, you know, all, all I think all Oregon could have done to change that had to be done before this past six months. It's, it was about putting more kind of ammunition, if you will, um, behind Cristobal and, and having more of those things that he can point to to say he did. So, you know, if, if Oregon had, let's say, you know, won another, gone to a playoff in one of Cristobal's three years here, I think that that's maybe a thing that could have helped to solidify Oregon as more legitimate or if we'd won uh, the Fiesta Bowl last year, maybe. Um, I mean, that was kind of a weird game, so I don't know about that. But but I do think, you know, how we win these recruitments in the future is not about refining our recruiting strategy in this particular case so much as it's about having that list of accomplishments that makes a recruit and his family feel confident that Oregon really is a top-tier program. Um, but, you know, with that said, you know, as, as I have said already about this recruitment, it, it came down to the end. And I think Oregon didn't win this one, but when you go for this highly rated of a commit or of a recruit, you know, you're going to go against the other top programs and you're going to lose more than you win, but you will get, you know, get those breaks eventually. And I mean, of course, as we'll get into you know, it was at least comforting that Oregon did have that kind of recruitment for a player with that five-star label break the right way for them that same day, just a few minutes before then. Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much at the same time. Um, Ducksland five-star offensive tackle Kelvin Banks. Um, in looking at his 247 page right now, he is listed as the ninth highest all-time commit to Oregon. So yeah, not, not a terrible, uh, not a terrible way to, to go about your day whatsoever. Um, even with the JT news, um, he becomes Oregon's, uh, well shoot at the time he wasn't the 14th, but we now have 14 commits. I want to say he was the 13th of the 22 class. I don't know. We had maybe one after him. 
I can't mm, remember the timeline exactly. No, but... I don't think we did. There, the, well, there was rumors that we were going to, but we didn't end up having one. Okay. Since then. Okay. Um, well, either way, yeah. I mean, it, this is still a huge recruitment. And I mean, I know you just posted an article about this, so you'll be able to expand right. on it further. Uh, Ducks further reaching into the Texas pipeline. This is now our fifth commitment from Texas in this class. Uh, just to put that in perspective, we have two from Cali, two from Oregon, one from Nevada. And that's, I mean, so basic, basically we have as many from Texas as we do in the entire like Western region. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's not something we're used to seeing. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, actually I'm pretty sure this, this is correct. Um, in a, in a, article I posted earlier for Ducks Digest a few months ago, I was looking back through the Oregon cycles, and I think in every single recruiting class to Oregon um, since when the rankings, or when, when 247 started assembling their database in 2000, in every single re- recruiting class, the most commits have come from the same state, and that is California. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, has been Oregon's pipeline forever. Um, we've been forever, lucky enough forever to, in the modern age, but right. even going back, I mean, yes, I mean, <laughs> even going back, you know, that's that everyone knows it. California, Texas, and Florida are the three biggest, uh, producers of high school football talent in the country. Mm-hmm. And we've always had that proximity to California and relied on them. Um, and this cycle has been a lot about trying to tap into Texas, a second one of those top three states, um, and trying to really get a strong foothold there. And, um, you know, I wrote about the first article I wrote for Ducks Digest was a two-parter about the Texas pipeline. Um, and so I talked about, you know, why does it matter to recruit Texas? This, you know, basically what I just said, that it's the, one of the three biggest, um, producers of high school football talent. And then I moved in the second part to which are the actual specific prospects that Oregon is targeting and, you know, what would they mean for the class? And the first guy I listed then uh, in early April was Kelvin Banks. Mm -hmm. He has been the headliner of Oregon's recruiting effort in Texas since, you know, since this spring Um, and further back before that. And so it was really cool for me to see that kind of speculation I had had come to fruition in this recruitment uh, and commitment ultimately. Um, and it was a it was a huge commitment. I you know I think that some fans were distracted obviously by the JT to Malau decision at the same time, and I think especially in the day leading up to it, people started to feel more confident about banks, and so they turned their attention up to the commitment that was more up in the air, but. Uh, you know, in this article I just put out for Ducks Digest, I basically, you know, said, outlined why this recruitment was such a big statement and made the argument for why it really deserves to be listed right alongside some of the biggest recruitments in this program's history, meaning DeAnthony Thomas, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Penn Sewell, Jonathan Stewart, Haloti Nada, all those types, Justin Flo. Uh, you could mention Noah Sewell, you could maybe mention as well. Um, and so, you know, this was a big deal. And, and the reason why this recruitment specifically was a big deal and what made it different 
was that this proved that Oregon could land a five-star caliber player who was outside of its geographic footprint on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And they could do that against major in-state competition from both Texas and Texas A&M being that final three that he was focused on. Um, and, And, you know, you should go read the article. But basically, you know, if you look at the history of Oregon's commitments um all time in their rankings there's really only two guys that oregon could even compare to the calvin banks recruitment in terms of the um ranking of the prospect and the distance to which we got got them from and that's lake c strunk who is a five-star uh running back out of texas uh you may know yeah you may (laughs) know how that ended the willie lyle scandal and him transferring after his redshirt year to baylor uh, that, you know, well, he technically landed on Oregon's campus. That feels like a asterisk around that commitment, yeah. certainly. Um, and the fact that it never produced anything for the Oregon program, except for some, uh, violations and scrutiny from the NCAA definitely, you know, makes it not, uh, <laughs> included on this list. And then yeah. the other, the other one that fans will remember from recently is Dante Manning. Yeah. yeah. Um, Missouri, right? from missouri exactly uh that's a there's a good argument there certainly um and that you know we did reach out of the state and out of the west coast footprint and get a five star but that recruitment came down to oregon and georgia and it was more of a push and pull between you know there wasn't that in-state program that should have had the definitive advantage over the ducks um that was really vying for Manning's commitment seriously. Um, and that recruitment also kind of had a weird um, platform for it or profile because it was people kind of thought he was a duck. He signed secretly with the ducks in the early signing period and then waited to announce at the um, All American Bowls, which are about two weeks after that. So by the time he announced, the commitment had kind of already gotten out there. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, the spectacle of it was just diminished a bit. But also, mostly, I, I just felt like the recruitment really wasn't as difficult to land as this Kelvin Banks one was. Because, you know, as we'll get into, Banks was being pursued heavily by both Texas and Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And there's really, you know, little... Uh, there's There's only a few states in the country that can compare to the kind of draw that a that someone born in Texas has to play for a Texas or a te- Texas yes. A&M. Yes, this is the important part. Yeah, because, I mean, people don't, a lot of people our age don't necessarily realize this just because of, you know, how things have panned out for that program in recent years. But Texas is the biggest brand in college football, period. The Longhorns are. I mean, they are massive. The entire state is just all over that team. Obviously, it's it's one of the biggest, I like to call like bumper sticker teams. Like you see the, mm-hmm. that Texas logo all over cars wherever you are in the United States. So, I mean, in A&M, make no doubt, <laughs> like all we really need to say is that they play in the biggest stadium in the SEC. So, right. I mean, the two big-time programs that, yeah, I mean, to get a guy out of Texas when he's being pursued that heavily by those other two programs really is huge, especially for a guy of his caliber, like you're saying. Yeah, it, it was 
I mean, it's just unbelievable for people who have followed Oregon recruiting for a long time to win that type of a recruitment for a five-star player out of Texas. And it, and it worked, I think, you know, one, because Chris Wall can sell him on, on all the usual things. He can sell him on being an offensive lineman uh, oriented coach. You can sell him on the Oregon brand and all of that, but also because the staff took this unique approach where they, you know, created this pipeline to Texas and they did that in order to offset kind of the cultural draw to stay in state and, and, and turned it into a movement that Kelvin Banks could then join on to. Um, and they also did it, you know, in a fascinating way um, by kind of keeping it under the radar of most of most Aggie and Longhorn fans and insiders. Um, the two four seven crystal ball stuck on Texas A and M and or and I mean Texas A and M and Texas until the very end, um, and you know in, in the stuff I read on message boards, um, it just seemed like Texas and Texas A and M fans didn't ever think that Oregon would be able to do this, mm-hmm. and and they were in part offended that the ducks did do it um they thought it was kind of an offense to to that tradition uh within the state of texas um and in fact actually earlier today there was a my article was posted um on on the oregon board and then uh the texas a&m board reposted it and was was complaining about it as a whole (laughs) the whole thing but basically you know they that group of fans just feels like Oregon has no right to come into Texas and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was interesting, you know, and I think that further da- validated to me what a statement it was for Cristobal that he actually did do it. And that, you know, um, against, you know, the conspiracy theories, uh, contradictory to the conspiracy theories from Texas A&M and Texas fans, it wasn't because, Nike paid this big sum of money or because of whatever, you know, it was legit. Cristobal just came in and won the recruitment and and he didn't pay any mind to the traditions of what or expectations of what people thought Oregon would be able to do in the state of Texas. Um, He just he just said, screw it and went in and, and, you know, had the guts to uh, and the confidence to go in and and try to land this commitment and ultimately that's what he did yeah and i mean we'd be remiss to not mention the hashtag kelvin to eugene movement that sort of sprang up um in the days before this announcement i mean guys uh sorry guys like um percy lewis or certain no maybe not percy lewis sir mel bailey sir mel yeah yeah um, previous commits, guys who you've already, you know, seen come in in this cycle, um, are already recruiting guys online. I also thought it was very, very telling that um, the instant Banks committed, he interestingly, instantly started doing the same thing himself, calling out guys like, um, sorry, I think Cyrus the first Moss. one, Cyrus Moss, yeah. uh, Ruben, whose name I can't Owens. remember. Yeah. yeah, Ruben Owens. Yeah. In, instant you know engagement and i mean those are the sort of relationships behind the scenes that we don't always get to see um but that can be super impactful in somebody's recruitment um i mean banks himself had already had a relationship with stefan johnson if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so yeah the i mean those things are kind of behind the scenes factors that can play a huge part in it 
But what it does point to is that, I mean, every recruit now when they commit to Oregon um, mentions the same thing, is that it's a very family-oriented atmosphere. Like, you know, it's a very personal relationship-based recruitment and that guys genuinely care about each other. Um, Right. And, I mean, we can see those we can see that paying dividends right in front of us when these guys do this sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a That's a great point. Um, and good to mention the peer recruiting for sure. That's, that's another thing that I'm um, working on an article about a little bit is, is that, you know, we'll get more into some of the, the other news and other commitments that Oregon added this week, because it was a big deal um, and a big week for that class. Um, and I, I really felt like this week was a moment where, that 2022 class, those guys that were already on board kind of defined their identity. Um, and it was, a you know, before they've, they've played at all on the field, it was a bit of a coming out party for them to just so show the strength of their movement um, for this class in particular. And kind of that moment when we had um, Dudley commit early and then we had the stretch of three commitments on Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, building up all this momentum, and then wake up Friday, Banks announces he's moving up his commitment date, and that whole class kind of rallied around and started that Kelvin to Eugene hashtag, uh, and it was just a cool mo- mo- moment to see because it came after a June where we had a bunch of visitors, but they didn't come to, uh, you know, they didn't result immediately in the commitments that some people maybe thought they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Oregon fans, as as comes in every recruiting class, were getting a bit anxious about who was going to actually jump in, where are the commitments, when is this going to actually res- come from, you know, the effort we put in yielding actual results in the class. Uh, and and then that was what this past week was about. It was It was a pouring out of all the work that the staff has done over the past month and even longer resulting in this stretch of commitments and then uh kind of the exclamation point of course was calvin banks announcement on sunday yeah i mean i I think one of the biggest things also is that as we sort of touched on earlier is that two of these five recent commitments or sorry three of these five recent commitments have all been from texas right um the other two being Nicholas Anderson, uh, four-star receiver from Katy, Texas, and Cameron Williams, three-star offensive tackle, six-five, three sixty. Which, by the way, like wow. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Anderson's a great stretch receiver. I mean, six-four-ish, six-three, uh, one ninety-five. I mean, we've we've raved in the past about the types of receivers the ducks are getting seem to be changing in recent years. Um, yeah. and he certainly fits that ladder path similar to, um, you know, recent guys we've seen come in and ball out in the spring game, for example. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this Texas pipeline is a legit thing. I mean, you would know better than I, like, is, is it someone like, are there certain people in the staff who are kind of making this happen or is it just sort of a, all around committed effort to dig into that area. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure exactly who in the staff currently is opening it up. I think it's it's kind of funny because I know that um, part of Marcus Arroyo's job when he used to be on staff was to kind of, uh, you know, work on Texas. Um, so it's kind of funny. You know, it'll probably add to a bit of the um, dislike maybe that some Oregon <laughs> fans have for Arroyo. 
uh, because <laughs> of his play calling that he also wasn't really that successful in, ha- in bringing it to fruition on the recruiting side. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure who specifically on the staff is doing it. I think that um, a big thing that has to be mentioned, though, is is what those early guy early recruits brought into it more than mm-hmm. anything. I think, you know, this staff works really hard, but I want to give credit to those guys, to Stefan Johnson and Landon Hallaby in particular, because they've been vocal uh, peer recruiters during their time. You know, I, I talked to Cam Williams. He said that both those guys were um, trying to get him to commit on the visit to Oregon, you know, um, just kind of showing that, bring that energy and making it a comfortable thing to come all the way from Texas up to Oregon. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I mean, we can get into the, the commitments last, last week a bit, I think, you know, mentioning Cam Williams that, and, uh, you know, also Nicholas Anderson, that was a fascinating day on Thursday Mm -hmm. because we woke up, I think people thought that Michael Booten uh, was a good chance to join the the flock, as they say, and he did that early in the day. Um, and then uh, Cam Williams was the other commitment that we had scheduled for later, and it was really interesting um, because I had put up uh, a article on, um, or we'd put up a roundtable prediction on Cam Williams, and. I had went with Texas. That was what I thought was the case. That was what I was hearing heading out of his official visit to Texas. And I think that the Oregon staff did a bunch of work in that final few days to, uh, you know, show Cam Williams why he liked Oregon so much before, uh, you know, coming off of his Oregon visit and during his time in Eugene. And I think once that kind of post-visit glow wore off a bit for him, he realized that um, Oregon was, was where he wanted to be, uh, probably in large part because of, you know, our success along the offensive line. And, and I think Cam Williams really is a guy who's super underrated as a tackle prospect because he has a little bit of, um, extra weight, we'll call it, I guess, uh, that he could shave off in a, in a, um, in a really strong strength and conditioning program. He's a bit raw, but I think, if he's in the right place that prioritizes offensive linemen, he could grow into being a star either at guard or at tackle and nowhere prioritizes offensive linemen quite like Cristobal in this Oregon program and Alex Mirabal, of course. Um, So I'm super excited for that commitment. And then Nicholas Anderson popped later that night, kind of out of nowhere um, Mm -hmm. before a few hours before that commitment. I don't think anyone really had, a clue and in terms of the greater public um that he was gonna be uh joining uh oregon and so that was really exciting too um and that that was kind of i i wonder if that was a catalyst for banks obviously then deciding to move up his commitment date uh from then july 24th to the 4th um but yeah, it was a super exciting week. And we also can't forget to mention TJ Dudley mm-hmm. on Monday, who, you know, right after we recorded. Or yeah, the day exactly. After. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that people felt confident about that recruitment going into it. And we had so, uh, and then the week was kind of turned into so much of uh, a um, 
so much speculation about what happened was going to happen Thursday. And then shortly after that, we got the word that Banks and JTT were going to announce Sunday. And that pretty much engulfed, uh, I think, most of every Oregon fan's uh, mind space for the next uh, 48 hours or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of didn't really uh, process totally what, you know, what the Dudley commitment means. Um, but if you look at the rankings, I mean, he's Oregon's second highest uh, commit only behind Kelvin Banks. So it's a big deal. Um, and it's awesome to get a linebacker uh, like that, even after the talent that Oregon's brought in in re- recent cycles at linebacker, you know, you've got to keep reloading there. Um, and, you know, also, I mean, it, talking about, you know, pipeline states, Alabama, all of a sudden we have Dudley uh, and then we also have ta- um, Tanner Bailey. So, yeah, uh, you know, as our quarterback for this class. So that's, you know, starting to brew into a little bit of a, a new recruiting ground for the Ducks as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, two commitments from Alabama. Obviously, there's <laughs> no shortage of schools you can stay close to home to when you're from down there. Um, right. I mean, having two of the biggest brands in your backyard seems to help, uh, not to mention like Georgia, LSU, you know, the Mississippi schools are still huge in terms of reach, even though they don't necessarily win as much as other schools. But I mean, it it is a very kind of interesting path that Oregon's taking. And I think more than anything, it just sort of speaks to what we talk about more than anything else, which is the fact that we're a national brand, a true national brand that like we are pulling guys from literally all the corners of the country right now. Um, and again, it's all about this family atmosphere. Everybody wants to come be together. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're from. It's about where you're going and they're coming here. Um, and it's for a reason. As you said, it's not just that we're some of the best at developing talent right now. It's especially at certain positions like offensive line. Um, But it's that, you know, you can genuinely enjoy your time here. And I think that's what a lot of people might sometimes forget to think about um, when discussing recruiting is that, yeah, these are still college kids. Like they still want to, you know, enjoy their time here. They're not just here to like play football and go home and sleep like even doing that, you can, you can still cultivate relation, more meaningful relationships with each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, did you want to touch more on, uh, any, any of these guys before we maybe move on? Um, I think, uh, not, not particularly. No, I think we touched on most of them. Maybe I'll say a bit about like Wooten, I think, um, is just a guy who I would say, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but this the evaluation for this cycle is a bit different with COVID. Yes, uh, yes. we've seen kind of you know delayed ability or, or restricted ability to get those in person evaluations, and because of that, uh, the recruiting services has have missed off, off missed out on that crucial uh, junior year of film a bit, um, and of in person evaluations and camps and all the other things that go into these rankings. So I think that. Wooten is just an example of a player that uh, Oregon, you know, trusted their evaluation on that Chris Ball and Mirabal said, this is our kind of guy. He has the length and athleticism that we want. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's that's probably going to be good enough for me to 
to say it was a, a good pickup for the Ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, is he Kelvin Banks level? You know, probably not. Not walking in the door, at least you wouldn't think. But uh, I think you know you have to trust those guys that they're able to um, make those evaluations. And I also think that. There's a good chance, given that Oregon, you know, secured the commitment that he is going to get a second look from these recruiting services in the fall. And, um, you know, maybe he'll get a boost in his ranking. I think it's like that. Um, it's good for the brand, for buzz and all of that. Ultimately, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect how they actually play on the field, but it can be an indicator, I guess. Um, so that's something to say on Wooten for sure. Um, I put up a piece also about what's next on the offensive line um, following the commitments of Wooten and Williams. So you can check that out. Um, Connerly, Josh Connerly from Seattle is a guy that Oregon's in the mix for maybe. But his recruitment is kind of evolving slowly. Uh, Tyler Booker is another name I mentioned, Eston Harris Jr., um, you can check that out. You can also check out my predicting the finish to the to the Oregon class, uh, my my um, final forecast article. If you go under Ducks Digest and recruiting um, a few a little bit down, I basically outlined who the twenty three guys I expect Oregon to end up with in this class are. Obviously, it's recruiting, so I, I by no means expect my uh, list to end up being a completely accurate prediction. But uh, it was fun to put together. I tried to do my best, and so uh, that's worth checking out, too, if you want a kind of broader look at how this thing might shake out a bit. Yeah, and I think your article does a really good job of uh, pointing out new names, um, maybe of guys that we haven't really heard of yet, um, guys that we, you know, fans like us may not even be discussing yet. Um, Because that's always the difficult thing when you're starting to get into recruiting is like, okay, now who should I be looking for? Like, where should I be looking on this list? It's hard to just keep up with simple, like, tweets and stuff, announcing this stuff. Like, if you miss it, you're just not going to know. Um, so, again, go read Reed's article. It's a very, as I mentioned earlier, it helped me kind of orient my thinking around all this. Um, and I, I think it's worth going, doing a quick little overview of kind of where we're at with the 22 class. Um, obviously, now with Williams and Banks, these are our four, third and fourth, uh, or Wooten, Williams, and Banks. Those, those became our second, third, and fourth uh, offensive line commitments, along with Percy Lewis, uh, the JUCO guy from Mississippi. Um, wide receiver Nicholas Anderson joins Stefan Johnson. Those are right now our only two wide receiver recruits. Um, obviously, quarterback Tanner Bailey uh, was one of our biggest kind of signees in the early, early going, um, Amari and Winston linebacker has been, been ready to go for a while now. Uh, Oh, I forgot an offensive name, Andre dollar at tight end, uh, defensive line. Sir Mills joins Grayson Halton as kind of the only names there. Dudley, another linebacker, obviously. And then Trajan Williams and Landon Hullaby at safety. That's kind of where we're at right now with our 14. Um, as you said, you expect us to get to 23. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I will be honest, that was a bit of uh, making it a little easier on easier on me to 
include all the names that I kind of wanted to. I think there's a good chance that that number ends up more like 21 or 20. I think 20, 23 is the upper limit of where we'll probably get to in this class, just given our, our scholarship numbers right now. Yeah. Um, but I decided to shoot for that upper limit just because it uh, gave me more spots to work with. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, if Let's just check our counting real quick. I'm at 81 scholarships total, obviously not counting the 22, the 22 recruits because they're not in the program yet. Um, but I, I think we're at 81 overall, so. Heading into next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I, don't, I have, uh, I don't have mine up, but, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that, what those numbers are, but I'll trust you on that. Yeah. I mean that again, it's, it's nothing like super important either. Cause this is sort of what you expect. Obviously the limit being right. 85, you can fluctuate up and down. One of those recent, uh, numbers that went down was, uh, Isaac Slade, Matautia, um, obviously, leaving the Oregon program, entering the transfer portal. We learned, I believe earlier today, maybe it was yesterday, um, that he is now with SMU, um, Southern Methodist University uh, near Dallas, actually reuniting mm-hmm. with uh, former Ducks DC, Jim Levitt. Um, not necessarily an obvious landing spot, but it, it certainly makes sense given that Levitt is the one who recruited him way back in 2018, I believe. Um and uh, we don't need to get into it much because we discussed this last uh, last week. But obviously, do what's best for you, Isaac. And uh, although he is a key piece of our defense, um, I feel comfortable that we'll be able to sort hopefully replace uh, what he gave us um, with a guy like Justin Flo at inside linebacker. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, uh, do you want to mention any names look to look forward to or? I mean, either way, we should be directing uh, people to your article because <laughs> that's where I got the ones on my list from. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, I, I mean, we've plugged it enough times, but I appreciate anyone who goes reads my work um, because I like doing it, and I also just want to produce good stuff for this fan base. Obviously, um, yeah. I mean, coming up immediately, I think uh, Satanga. Sitegna, how do you say that again? Sitegna, Isaiah Sitegna, receiver, four-star receiver, deciding between Oregon and USC. That will be an interesting decision. I think it's slotted for the 11th. I think that's his birthday on Sunday. Um, And that will be interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, To be honest, I think that some Ducks fans are a bit conflicted uh, well, he's a really quality prospect. Uh, he certainly is. Um, Oregon also has a shortage of room now at wide receiver. Um, with Stephon Johnson and Nicholas Anderson joining the fold, now Oregon has probably one or two spots left. It's it's tough to see them taking more, more receivers after the great class that they brought in last year. So, and, and just fitness and scholarships in general. So, you know, the other name, Tataroa McMillan uh, is a big one. He's down to Oregon, USC, and Arizona. I would just expect a decision from him later this summer. Um, and then Kevin Coleman is still out there. He's a five-star wide receiver. I think not many Ducks fans feel 
super strong or many people in general feel like they have a super strong uh, hold on where his recruitment sits. But he's Coleman is such a talented player that he's a guy you wouldn't want to turn away if things broke the right way in the end or if you had a chance at, at um, landing a commitment from Kevin Coleman. Uh, Darius Clemens, an in-state wide receiver out of Westview, I believe, another guy to look at at wide at the wide receiver position so given those names um the question is kind of is is Oregon ready to take a commitment from Sategna um and the what makes it more complicated too is that his alternative his only other finalist is USC so mm-hmm. you have that you know double issue of if we don't take him uh or if we don't land him then he's going to end up at one of our biggest rivals in the conference. Um, probably our, our biggest threat annually, it feels like right now, to a conference title. Mm-hmm. And so that's something interesting to weigh. It will be an exciting decision to see where he goes on Sunday for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, other than that, I think you mentioned Cyrus Moss. Um, he could be an important D-line recruit coming up. But, yeah, I mean – Definitely. The Jaleels at cornerback of Tucker and Florence. Um, maybe they're a yeah. package deal coming from Lincoln High in San Diego. Who knows? But, um, but yeah. Dave, uh, the other one is Dave uh, Ayuli, too. Um, mm-hmm. Offensive lineman, uh, interior offensive lineman. He just released a top nine and uh, got a crystal ball recently, too, from Huffman, I believe to the ducks uh so that would be one to watch too and again oregon has some other other options on offensive line um but so you know there's everywhere now spots are tight basically any commitment coming from here on out uh oregon's gonna have to think long and hard about um as if christwell doesn't of course think uh hard about all of the decisions he makes in terms of recruiting (laughs) yep yeah exactly um so yeah man i mean are there any other names you'd you'd like to mention before we kind of sign off i mean it feels weird that we're still under an hour right now and that we're almost ready to end the episode this is i I actually there's one more thing that we can talk about that uh i just saw pop up on my phone uh that you probably are not prepped at all but in the spirit of this podcast never closing before an hour (laughs) um not related to recruiting, but did you look at Kayvon Thibodeau's I'm literally tweet? looking at this page right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, <laughs> he just announced his first – I mean, this. I feel like this is kind of the first uh, breaking news we've had maybe and maybe also the first like sort of NIL, like like tangible NIL news that we've been able to go through so far. So, yeah, why don't, why don't you get it, get it going? <laughs> well, I'm, I, uh, to be honest with you, I'm kind of – looking at my laptop right now and trying to sort through exactly what yeah, this is. <laughs> so Kayvon just posted this. It's pinned right now. It'll probably still be pinned when you look. Um, basically, it's a NIL thing with Nike, with Phil Knight and Tinker Hatfield. I mean, you know, this uh, classic branding move, Oregon, uh, their biggest, you know, uh, advantage in terms of NIL is Nike, the biggest sports brand there is on the planet, basically. Um, you know, obviously, given the Phil Knight and Tinker Hatfield um, connection, that's who designed this digital 
piece of digital art, I guess. Um, I, yeah, I, that, I think it's so like an it NFT was, of some sort. Right, exactly. Oh, so it it's a yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau art piece created by Tinker Hatfield, inspired by uh, his success on the field. Um, and if you don't know was, who Tinker Hatfield is, just just Google him. He, yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> he's basically the GOAT in terms of uh, athletic product design, yep. I guess. Yeah, I mean, is that what the He invented the Air Jordan. It? I think we can yeah. leave it at that. Which um, is, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't know what the Air Jordan is, uh, we can't help you there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's really funny because... Um, this is the type of stuff that, and I mean, this, again, this is something we mention all the time. Um, people ingest or sometimes in like in all seriousness, uh, sort of have this accusatory tone towards Oregon of like working with Phil Knight and that that's somehow a bad thing in that he's like helping us get better recruits, not oh my God. You know, by like, you know, giving the program money like any other booster in any other program, like all you're really telling me if you say that, so you don't know how college football works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think it's great that he cave on is literally doing this with Phil. Like the, the tweet says, quote, I am honored to announce my first collaboration with two true pioneers, Phil Knight and Tinker Hatfield. That's just great. That's like total validation uh, I mean, and like that that's so awesome i'm happy for that's him. yeah that's just ace branding from oregon yeah i mean yeah. tinker hatfield and phil knight like oh my god those those two names and then of course the guy who's gonna get it uh you know going into this year is Kayvon thibodeau maybe the best defensive player in the country a possible top five top heisman hopeful. overall heisman hopeful pick all that stuff so um it's uh it's exciting so yeah like you said you click on the link to buy it and then yeah it's it's currently up to like 104 dollars right now i think i don't yeah so (laughs) you ought to read this it's it's in eth it's the currency is eth so um okay okay so it's saying you pay 0.45 of eth of eth 0.045 (laughs) Point zero four five of ETH, which is a digital currency, I assume. Yeah, uh, and, and that that like translates a, to like a Bitcoin type thing. Yeah. Okay, and we're—I mean, this is all new. We're clicking on <laughs> seven owners currently. Uh, is oh, that I guess you can just buy—you can buy a. So it's not like a an exclusive NFT. It looks like it looks like it's one you can just buy yourself. So there were like so, anyone can buy it. So, okay, wait, it says that there are some, there were a couple thousand of them minted, or or a thousand, sorry if this is horrible to listen to on a podcast. (laughs) We're we're trying to figure it out as we go. (laughs) Okay, so it says minted 1,255. Oh, wow. And then they've been bought within the past hour when the site was launched. They're still being bought and as we speak, by the way. The the unit price has gone up as uh, since I yeah, last said so it. So the pr- the price is this an investment opportunity? I mean, I think it's. I mean, if you're a person who buys these kind of things, I think everything is an investment opportunity. Um, 
but this is so fascinating I, this, <laughs> to be honest this is a world i totally yeah i was gonna say understand. if you can't tell we're not too familiar with the world of nfts um <laughs> but I, i'm excited about it uh, yeah see, i mean I'm, the, i don't have the money to buy i think we'd have to start uh doing some ad reads if we wanted to spend money on that type of thing but i um, i have i have a feeling that it the decision was made by people more educated than us (laughs) i think that's the fair assumption i certainly hope that's the case because i'm totally lost Um, and and i i mean for me what i take away from it is is you have it's an nil thing and you have Kayvon thibodeau's name right next to phil knight and tinker hatfield and we'll take uh, you can tell me just that sentence and that is a win to me i think that's a great branding move for oregon uh whatever this thing is but yeah, it's a really cool art piece, though. Um, yeah. Regardless of, of uh, its price or whatever, a copy of its price or whatever. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. It's on uh, uh, KT's Twitter at KVonT8. Um, thank you for hanging with us. And, yes, we have crossed our hour threshold, so we are allowed we, to end this now if we want to. officially off the hook. Um, I know you're about to go watch the finals. I'm probably going to wash this uh, camping dirt off of myself and do the same. Who you got in the finals? Uh, I'll go with the Suns. Uh, wow. I want, want Chris Paul to get over the um, final oh, threshold. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry, um, but I do. <laughs> I think it's a cool story. And the whole looming health of Giannis is a bit of a worry to pick the Bucks. I think. Yeah, and I just don't, true. I don't totally trust them. They looked like they were about to get knocked out uh, by the Nets. I mean, they were really on the last rung, and I think if they had had some injury luck break their way, it might have been a different story. But you I mean, can say dude, the same thing about the Suns and the Lakers. This so. is true, yeah. But, I mean, the Suns were never really, like, threatened in that series i didn't feel like but shoot man if katie's toe isn't so damn long then the bucks are probably not in this position um, uh, i mean they yeah they literally are not <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> no probably true. about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i'm just sad that my beloved hawks are out um so yeah, yeah. I, I like the hawks too at the end there but yeah yeah all right, well, uh, go enjoy the finals if you're into that kind of thing. Go enjoy the, the end of the Euros if you're into that kind of thing. Some riveting stuff today, Italy and Spain. And, um, no kidding. And, yeah, man, uh, go Ducks. Go Ducks.